Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlositev, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my creative co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sitep. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. So today, we are super excited to have a very special guest on the podcast. We have Dave Hirschkopf. He is the founder and creative force behind Dave's Gourmet. But when we asked Dave his title, he said that he's actually the president and spice master of Dave's Gourmet. Spice the- master or spice meister? It's meister. <laughs> meister. I wrote it wrong. Spice meister. Or- Keep that title official. So welcome to the podcast as I messed up your intro. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded great to me. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys. So tell us a little bit about Dave's Gourmet, about the products that you are currently selling. Yes. So we're known mostly as a sauce company. So we start with hot sauces and now we do hot sauces and pasta sauces. And we actually have a sideline of overnight oats. So um, who knows what we'll have next, but that's mainly what we sell at this point. And then tell us a little bit, a little bit about your um, origin story. Like, how did that first sauce come about, and when did you decide you wanted to be a product boss? Yes, yeah, so um, I had a taqueria, like this burrito madness, in College Park, Maryland, which is the University of Maryland, and you know, oddball, like you know, Cajun shrimp burritos and unusual things, and. I started making really hot sauces there to sort of get rid of the drunk people because they were annoying me. And <laughs> it just uh, it started getting popular, and I figured out how to make the world's hottest sauce. And people just started requesting it in these little souffle cups, and that got to be out of hand. So I bottled it and went to the National Fiery Food Show in Albuquerque, and we got banned. So banned for being too hot. Wow, so oh my. the New York Times picked up on it and became this thing. And so it became this like, crazy hobby of mine. Um, and you know, the sauce sauce insanity sauce at the time was so much hotter than anything else in the world that it was like just blowing people away and it just sort of took off. Literally blowing people away. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still doing that really, really hot sauce? Is it still in the line? Yeah, it's still in the line. Still one of our best sellers. And we actually make sauces that are hotter than that, but you know, the world sort of evolved and you know, there's amazing, super hot stuff all over the place now. Yeah, but, um, it's a, a it's become its own subculture, basically, of all these people that love spices and follow the what's the meter? Uh, Scoville units. Yeah, so, Scoville units. Yeah, which is a dilution factors named after Wilbur Scoville. But um, you know, it's it's really just personal. And what's amazing is there's like a a group of people that can handle it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are like like jokesters and like macho guys testing themselves or whatever, but there's a lot of people who they can really handle it. I knew this like, you know, four foot tall, 12 year old girl that used to hang out with my daughter and like, she would just eat it and be like, yeah, that's kind of spicy. 
Mm-hmm. And you have really, you know, great names like Ultimate Insanity and Ghost Pepper or Scorpion Pepper or some of the more warm ones are Hurtin Jalapeno or Cool Cayenne. Um, so, okay. So you started with transitioning to these hot sauces. You got, it sounds like you got a little bit of press, which is what perhaps kicked the business off. Was that sort of the jump start for it? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think the sauce called Insanity Sauce, and I used to wear a straight jacket and all that, um, you know, it all sort of fit together. <laughs> but um, so that was naturally sort of interesting to people. But yeah, and, the, and also the fact like, you know, so many products and, and things we see are like, you know, exaggerated. Um, mm-hmm. But this was a product that actually did more than it said. Uh, and people like love the sort of truth of that. And the media like just took over and, and the word of mouth. So it wasn't just the media. The media like was sort of almost a function of the word of mouth, just the sort of excitement around this. But yeah, it's sort of, you know, one bottle lasts for like three years. So it's sort of, it's this amazing thing, but it's all within this sort of like limited niche um, mm-hmm. that, you know, can only go so far no matter what you do. Do you have a food background then, you know, previous to the taqueria that you had, is your background in food? Yeah, I've been eating since um, at least birth. <laughs> Such so a good I have answer. Lots of experience. <laughs> well, it started out liquid, then I went to solids, Edward, exactly. one year old. So it really sauce was sort of like the beginning. Uh, <laughs> and no, I mean, I have no formal training. Uh, you know, in college, uh, I, I bartended and waited tables and all that. But no, I mean, I had no real food background. I mean, I, I have that sort of entrepreneur ADD mentality of like, hey, why the heck not? Why not me? Why not try it? Um, and I probably was just too stupid to realize all the risks. Or smart that yeah. you knew that there were risks and you were willing to take them. Yeah. So, coin. so you, okay. So let's, you, what was the next step for you? So you started bottling these and did you decide, do you, did you continue to go to trade shows? Because it's not, you said the majority of your business is actually wholesale. So what came first? Like how did the first sales start happening? Were they wholesale sales? Were they direct to customers? Yeah. So, you know, this is 93. So, you know, Amazon wasn't really a thing and the internet was just sort of up and coming. Just starting to get websites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> People so didn't like, have emails quite yet. I mean, yeah, you know, we had, we had a website in 95, I think. Uh-huh. So we were kind of mm-hmm. on the earlier side, but you know, really I used to go to a lot of craft fairs and like weekend fairs. And so, you know, so you had the media and the, once the media hit a bunch of stores that sell mostly spicy foods, like these specialty stores would call us and we would ship to them. And then, um, then combined with the craft fairs, you know, we'd have a lot of direct to consumer there, which is, which is really important because you get a lot of feedback. So I'd get like, huh, that has this note, but I don't like that flavor note or, um, cause we were creating other sauces to sort of go with it, um, and trying to figure out what else we could do. But I mean, you know, a lot of it was just sort of founded on what would be fun, uh, what would be cool. So that was sort of our impetus was what was cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, you really exemplify your brands in your personality and kind of the fun and the, you know, pushing the boundaries, I suppose, you know, with, like you said, you wore a straight jacket, right? Was that something that you naturally were able to do or is that something that kind of your voice kind of grew over time you know um i think everyone has that 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 urge in them to like be that kid who stands up and says "Ooh me ooh me look at me you know um i want attention too um and add people uh you know most the quote-unquote normal people whatever that means norms uh, (laughs) normal people sort of like 
you know, they prioritize like what they do based on, well, this is the most important thing. I should do this first. But ADD people will prioritize based on that's the most exciting thing. I'm going to do that first. So that was always sort of the impetus of like, what's the most exciting? And, and where that can be like an ADD superpower is like, everyone wants to see stuff that's exciting. Everyone wants stuff that's cool and interesting. So mm-hmm. if that's your focus and you have like a high threshold, if it hits your threshold, it's really going to be interesting to a lot of other people too. Right. So um, that's, that's sort of a, you know, cause you have to have standards. I mean, at the end of the day, a business entrepreneurs, owner, starter, whatever, um, one of their main functions is to maintain the standards of the business. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's sort of like a built-in you know, personality standard. And that drove us to create interesting things, many of which didn't succeed, but nevertheless. Right. And I think it is a, a, a bit of a superpower. And also, like you said, keeping the brand consistent. So you started off with your website. You were in wholesale. Do you, when did social media come into play? Or when did what was after that? Yeah, I mean, for us, social media, we, we have it, but it's never been a big force for us. Okay. Partly, you know, I think it's partly, you know, just the generation I'm in. Um, I just got used to doing things a certain way. And so we added it, but I'm not on it enough personally. And that's what we, really requires me to like be on there and sort of talking, you know. Um, so for us, the, the media has always been a huge factor, but, um, you know, our brand just got into so many stores that now we do more of the traditional sort of like trade marketing where like, you know, you've discount coupons on the shelf and you do like electronic coupons and all that. Uh, one of the things that drove our media for many of the years was, I guess they call them LTOs now, limited time offerings. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we've, we've done it for fun. We always created special products that were limited edition. So we had, um, limited edition private reserves every year, hand signed, hand numbered, vintage dated, in special wooden crates wrapped in caution tape. Um, <laughs> so, so we did that every year. We did lucky nuts where every 10th nut is hot, but they all look alike. Um, so it's like a Russian roulette concept. <laughs> that's, uh, like the, that's like the Harry the, Potter birdie Yeah, Bambi. Yeah, exactly. But you've been doing that for a while. That's amazing. We did that. Yeah, way before they did that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We did um, adjustable heat hot sauce. So it's a special container with where you turn the top and depending on the position, the heat of the sauce coming out is different. So that was like, but we've done, you know, tons of like crazy little things like that. And, you know, the world's most expensive pasta sauce. And, you know, for a while, my How much tongue, was it? Uh, it was $1,000 a bottle. And what, um, why was it the most expensive? What'd you put in it? White truffle, gold flake. Um, oh my God, it sounds amazing. Stuff. And the packaging was really cool. Uh, you know, my tongue was insured for like a million bucks for a while. Um, oh, like, well, wait, wait. I mean, with that insanity or the, the Scovilles, you know, I'm guessing it, you probably needed to insure a bit of your body for yeah, all I, the testing. Well, it's a, to, because you're the, te- you were the, the person, right? That approved it or didn't. Well, I still am. And, and quite yeah. frankly, I don't look forward to quality control days. Cause it's like, it's, <laughs> you know, everyone thinks, yeah, oh, you try a little bit of sauce. No, you, you try like a lot of 40 sauce. bottles of super hot sauce all like in like an hour and a half or two. And it's like this lineup of like, ow, ow, ow. So I just want to just touch on some of these, the points that you're making and these really fun, creative marketing ideas. So obviously you started in a time that um, 
it was that traditional route and you had to stand out on shelves and you had to stand out to buyers and traditional press is the thing that sort of kicked it off for you. And I do want to also point out to our listeners that Instagram, because so many of them panic about Instagram, but Instagram is not always the thing that's going to make or break your, your business or even revenue level, whether, however many followers you have. But the important thing that I think to hear is that from the beginning, you were like, I'm going for the max. I'm going for the hottest hot sauce in the world. And you brought humor and fun to it where you wore a straight jacket. And I'm sure that your personality at trade shows was really fun and really exciting. And then you, I wouldn't say games, but sort of like it's playful, right? So it's like every 10th nut is super spicy or that you can adjust. And so it's this different, they're, they're experiencing your products in different ways and it, it is influencing their experience in life or using something that like, you know, if we all had ketchup, ketchup is ketchup, but you made it fun and daring and very on brand. Right. Well, I think you, you use the key word right there and that's, all the studies show that people care much more about experiences than things. And food, by its nature, is a thing, but eating is an experience. And so if you can sort of make it into something memorable and fun and larger than life, and, and, and that's, you know, nowadays people care about the backstory of products and what the product's intention is and, and authenticity and truth and, and sort of how it all comes together. So they care about the whole package, the whole experience. Um, and certainly social media is one way to deliver that. But like, you know, the food industry, like many industries, we're like this big herd of like cows, you know, we're like, like, oh, social media, you know, <laughs> influencer marketing, you know, we're all herded to like these different things that are supposed to take us to the promised land. But it's not just doing it. It's how you do it. Um, and, you know, if you're not going to do it a certain way to like really be all in and achieve a benefit, you know, it's not really going to do that much for you unless you're a big company and you spend like $20 million on it. Right. Advertising works, but only if you do a lot of it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's like social media works, but only if you're all in and really launching content that's like, wow, and really connecting with people in a way that's like, like meaningful and really drives things. Right. It's all about that focus. I do want to uh, state a point here that you're such an innovator and so creative. And I want our listeners to make sure that when you are creative and you are innovative, there is set parameters still, right? You are creative and innovative when it came to food and that you are actually just being creative and innovative in the arenas that people were really resonating with. So it was the hot sauces. It was the different things. It wasn't like you were creating all these different things. Now you are because you're an established brand. But in the beginning, you have to really focus on the areas that people are loving and 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 lean into your strengths and um, innovate in that arena where, hey, let's push the boundaries. But at the same time, we have this standard of quality. We have this standard of brand alignment and, and a persona that we're trying to um, achieve for our customers. I, to- I totally agree. I mean, pivoting is a big word in business now. Um, and what people like probably already know is like the first mover often is not successful in business. Um, a lot of the big names in business now, you know, like Microsoft and all these guys, they weren't really the first mover. They weren't the first person to do that. They were like the second or third. They just did it better. Um, Amazon's not really that innovative a company in some ways, but I mean, they execute it in an amazing level. Um, and they're strategic and smart. So like, 
you know, whatever you do, like we all want to be the first, we all want to win awards and all that, but like you got to keep pivoting and adjusting your concept, especially if you're the first, the odds of you getting it right are not very good, but you have a little leeway if you're the first, you have credibility, people respect that, especially in America, because, you know, that's what we're about is risk and the little person and all that. Um, so yeah, that's fine. But like, you know, the whole fail fast, pivot, keep changing your concept, keep your ear to the ground. You know, social media is a tremendous opportunity to talk to consumers and customers. So like, that's, I mean, I think that's sort of where you're getting at is like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's sort of business is it's like a grand experiment and you're constantly trying things. Um, and when you find something that works, sort of refine that and um, drive it. And you also mentioned that there are other products that you dropped. Anything fun to share with us? Oh my gosh. We had so many <laughs> things. Um, and then there were a bunch of things we didn't do. Like I wanted to do um, uh, dehydrated bottled water. So you, you just add water. <laughs> yeah, just, well, no, it's de- dehydrated bottled water. Um, so you add water to rehydrate it. So <laughs> it has light shipping weight. And I wanted to do um, bottled water from Mexico. Montezuma Springs, um, you know, so every 14 year old boy would love this kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, I mean, we had, so we had a bunch of nuts. We had smoking nuts and Dave's lucky nuts and we had spicy uh, chocolate covered espresso beans. And then we had spicy jelly beans and we had demented dills and mad mushrooms. And I can't remember what we had these, uh, like those French green beans. I can't think of what we called them though. Um, uh, we had like gazillions of things over time. And most of it just didn't sell very well. Um, so you would bring it to market, try and sell it, and it didn't do very well, so you dropped it. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we weren't very strategic. Okay. So, I mean, we started out in what would, you would call the gift model. Because if you went to a gift store, they put your stuff in like a little set. So you could be in different categories and have sort of disparate offerings as long as there was some common brand. Um, and that's cool, but like you can only go so far with spicy food line in the gift stores. Um, so, you know, now we're more of the grocery model where like your hot sauces are in the hot sauce section and your pasta sauces are in the pasta sauce section. So you'll launch groupings, define groupings of things. Um, and you know, that requires more strategic stuff. Like, cause this morning we're talking to a grocery chain unmentioned in the Northeast, but they wanted $25,000 per item to go into their hundred to 200 stores. Um, they I mean, want you a, to pay 25000 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you try to negotiate it, but yeah. like, I mean, the Northeast is the most expensive region, but like- Is that typical for grocery chains to want per item? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. realize that. Was it Wegmans? Yeah. No, just <laughs> You don't have no. to say, I'm kidding. We don't it wasn't have... Wegmans. We no. love Wegmans. Great customer. Great store. <laughs> you also sell the Kings, which I love. That's up here. Another great chain. Yeah. Um, not, not mentioning those. But um, yeah, so, but that's typical. You pay slotting. You, you rent <laughs> shelf space in the supermarket. And I didn't actually only, know that. I yeah. don't know a lot about the markets. So when you go to grocery, it's like the risk becomes higher because you've paid to get in and you may mm. not be in there a year later if you don't do well. So then you have to pay a lot of money to promote to make sure you do well. Mm. And it's sort of frustrating because like imagine walking down a little supermarket aisle, which we all do, right? And there's thousands of items and you're like your, your items like this one or two or three bottles on a shelf and you're like, how do I get these people walking by to stop and look at me and pick me up and read me and then actually want to pay seven bucks to buy me? Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you're sitting 2,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, yeah, what levers do you pull and how much do you pay? And, you know, that's where that's part of the experiment of like 
So to have more of your your products on that shelf for a better representation in the store, would that be a solution to that? Or do you t- would you typically go in with three bottles? Well, you want the billboard effect, which is right. like the, the bigger grouping makes more of a visual impact, especially if your packaging is that. I mean, packaging is like the number one thing you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, having an amazing product that gets word of mouth is the number one. Number two, I would say is great packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not the visual. It's also like what you call out and how you position it and all that. Um, those are the best things you can do. I mean, you can have demos, like people demonstrating your product, but it's not very cost effective and it's very expensive to do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have to like, pay to be, to have those people do the demos in the stores. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, yeah. it's probably like 150 bucks to do a demo. Oh, uh-huh. wow. Yeah. So if you're so, going to do like a hundred of them or 300 or a thousand, it's an yeah, investment. So, yeah. Plus, I mean, some people, who knows, you have to test out their spicy meter. You know, there's a lot of good demo people and there's a lot of really bad ones. Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, like business has so many details. Like, cause like you'll do these demos, you, you think you're so smart, you line up this great demo person and finally the weather's actually good that day because weather's a big factor. And what happens is they do a great job, but the store only had two cases of your sauce. So they sold all through two cases. They probably would have sold another five, but there was no sauce. So like mm-hmm. it's all logistics, everything adds up. So it's like, you know, and that's just these demos while you're trying to do 19 other areas of your business. So what point then, because that is, and, and I tell people this a lot. Um, I help on the wholesale side with a lot of our listeners and, and um, students, but that usually we set minimums, for example, and minimums across the products because it's that representation in the store, right? If they have one or two pieces, it doesn't really represent the brand. And it's hard, like you said, to stand out while you're shoved in the racks between other clothing or on the shelves. So what you're saying is exactly what we teach. It's, it's that you want to set these minimums because it will also set the store up to sell more. It'll have a better representation of your brand and everyone will benefit. But how did you choose or decide that you were going to go to the grocery, the grocery chain since it was such an investment? Like what year in all the years that you've been doing this, was that the move that you made? Yeah, it was probably like year three or four. We went to Tops, which is a, a Northern uh, New York grocery chain, great chain. Um, the buyer was a lover of hot sauce and, um, you know, he took us in and, and, you know, Buffalo's up there. So people get spicy food to some degree. So yeah, it it worked well. Um, but I mean, you have to be selective because grocery chains have different demographics and like, you know, if you're expensive, you're not going to go into like discount chains as much. And, um, so you just have to be careful. And then, you know, with what you're saying with demos, you know, there's a whole side of like the grocery food world, the execution is massive. You know, if you pay for a hundred stores, you're lucky to get in 93 of them. You know, if you pay for a promotion, thousands of dollars, they don't always happen. Sometimes you pay and you get nothing. So you have to sort of know and like just so many things go wrong. Even distributors, like, you know, if they fill your product 92% of the time, um, that's great. Otherwise, you know, so, you know, you got these 7% and 8% where things are not happening and those can easily become 30 and 40%. So like you have all these plans and like, you know, even if your plan was going to work okay, if it happens 80% execution, that's 80% of okay. And then are you mm-hmm. losing money? And like, so like, you just have to be so on top of things. Uh, but like, you know, we have a team now. And so we all discuss things and try to make decisions. And then we bring in consultants from time to time to try to advise us. Um, the problem with consultants is they'll tell you like the way to do things in sort of like the middle of the road mean kind of way a lot of times. 
And it's not always what fits like your company culture and personality. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't do certain things, not because I'm not physically able, just because emotionally and mentally, I'm like this ADD guy who like, I want to do it the creative fun way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you ever see that, that TV series Limitless? I haven't oh, watched it. Where he yeah. takes the pill, that one? Yeah, he takes the pill and unlocks the entire brain. Uh-huh. Uh, but like this guy had this like kooky personality. Um, so he had to do things his way despite, you know. Uh, so it's like, I think that's where people in business, like there's not one right way to do business. There's many right ways to do business. Um, yeah. There's some some things that are best practices that will work generally better, but you really have to know what you can do and what you can't do. And then, you know, bring in people to sort of, fill the gaps, um, but design a success formula that you can execute. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. That feels right to you. I mean, that's why you have your own business and your own brand. And that's why you are as successful as you are because you, you went a path that maybe wasn't as traditional or you, something that somebody would have said, this is a roadblock or I'm going to stop. You were like, we're just going to push through it because you do have so many ideas. So there's, we've been telling our, our students this a lot, but there's courage and bravery in the fact even if you feel like you're failing, you're doing something that other people will never do. They won't take these risks. And then I think, talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but as entrepreneurs, we take the risks and we walk and we live that life. But it's, it's courageous to, mm-hmm. to experience these, these lives that we're, we're creating for ourselves. So tell us a little bit about your team then. Who do you have over there? Yeah, so we are like majorly outsourced. I have a little bit of the four-hour workweek mentality. Uh, so we are totally virtual, um, which has happened in the last year. Uh, our production is outsourced by different uh, co-mans, pa- uh, co-packers. And our warehousing is a 3PL, third-party logistics company. Uh, so they do all the shipping. And then we have a team of basically four of us on staff who all work from our homes. Although I prefer cafes. <laughs> cafe with nice light, good spacing, Decent food, not too quiet and not too loud. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, wow. Yes. Sounds that's, amazing. That's it. And then we have a couple contractors um, who are, do our grocery sales, and they're shared contractors. Uh, and those guys are awesome veterans. Like sales have, reps? They're sales reps. Um, yeah. But these guys are, you know, sales managers, essentially. Okay. Uh, and they manage a broker network that does really a lot of the sales with them. Uh, and then, um, R&D, you know, has been changing over the years, was a full-time in-house. And now like we contract with different people depending on what we're doing. But like, so internally what, what we actually do is I do all the ideation. I come up with all the crazy ideas and, you know, manage all the finance. We have a, a contract bookkeeper. Of course we have accountants. Amazing. So I just want to touch on the sales part of it all because our background is actually not in food as much, but we definitely have people in food that are listeners. How do you, we get the gift, the gift shows and going to the gift show trade markets, but that transition into that, the food rep, like who, who is that first person if they are a newer business that they need to look for to kind of like elevate them up into another level outside of maybe just doing the gift shows? Yes. So it's sort of a testing process, right? So at some point you have to show your product can sell uh, and so that can look like a direct to consumer Amazon or on your own website, or it can look like, you know, your local grocery store, local gourmet store. Um, you have to show it can sell. And then once you've shown it can sell and, you know, so you go do demos or whatever to like, um, 
And then you go to a second store, so the store across town. And so you usually work out in like concentric circles, like you keep going to, you know, you blanket your city and then go to second city. Um, and once your city's blanketed, then you probably hire, find a local distributor or a local rep to sort of take over. Um, and then you go to a second city where you can start yourself or you can hire a broker then because you can say, hey, look at what we did in city one. Can you do city two? Um, so it sort of goes that way. And it's sort of, that's a good way to get the feedback to sort of tweak your product and tweak your offering. But like, um, this may be getting way ahead of the question, but like at the end of the day, if you were going to sell your business, what these people, what the intermediaries and the buyers will look for, they would much rather you be in a thousand stores than 10,000 stores, assuming you can show, wow, I sell two units a week and increasing in each of a thousand stores. And most of my competitors sell like one and a quarter versus being in 10,000 stores and selling, you know, three quarters of one jar a week when your competitors are selling 1.25. Because mm. the buyers have the capacity to put you in lots of stores. They just need you to show like you're the little engine that could, you know, like, like wow, when, I go in, when your product goes in stores, it kicks butt. And it has mm-hmm. to be enough stores where it's sort of like really proven out scientifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where like you want to go to like stores and really don't go too fast. Don't get ahead of yourself. Um, cause like we just went national right away. We didn't do it the right way in some sense. Um, but so if you were, had the patience to be more disciplined, go slow, get in the right stores, um, do it. It's better to do it regionally and you can pick whatever regions you want and, and ask the questions like, who's the consumer that buys your products? You really need to know that. Like, you know, age, gender, interests, um, you know, whatever you can learn, psychographics, demographics, uh, and like, what do they like about your product? At what price points does your product work best when you promote it? What types of promotions really work best? You know, a dollar off, dollar fifty off. You pair it with another product. Um, so just you should have this massive learning about your own product, and sort of don't really try to expand at full pace until like you've learned these things. Um, and that that's sort of the best way to proceed. You know, and then when you've known that, and you can show like this amazing case study. Any rep you go to in any other territory is going to look at them and be like, wow, what you guys have done there is amazing. I really want you here because I know this this chain is sort of like that chain and they'll kick butt with it. Um, right. Whereas if you're sort of floundering around in a bunch of places, you know, yeah, you, you might have some scale and you might get some representation, but you're ultimately not going to do nearly as well. And it's much more frustrating because then you do have to spend a lot more money on marketing and supporting your product because it's not doing as well. Once you have sort of the, the the model down, then you can just release it. Yeah. Great. I love that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because you said it's like that idea of building locally. It sounds like one of your first stores was near Buffalo where it kind of, you know, would make sense. But if, if, you know, our listeners have a product that can sell in any city, it's not specific, you know, like as hot sauce, then it's maybe finding that one store, like you said, then finding the next store that's across town, but is is, is significant and then growing out from there, like you said, in concentric circles. So, so many times people feel like their reach has to be bigger, but it's that snowball effect of where you start and how each one influences the next place and also gives you, um, what's the word, clout basically, right? Mm-hmm. It proves that this person likes you, then they might like you as well. Yeah, I think yeah. of it as street cred. Street cred, and you also need champions. I mean, 
you know, you need consumer champions who like will get on the internet and like, mm-hmm. you know, social media. And then you need some wholesale champions too. Like, you know, when for a while we did awesome with Costco, but it was because this one buyer who was like, he'd badger the other buyers to, to like buy us, um, you know, and there, there's and always he like loves a, spicy food, right? And no, it was with the pasta sauce. Oh, um, really? Yeah, he loved our pasta sauce. So, um, you know, every, every successful brand, you know, that you can name had a couple like champions chains, like RX Bar, you know, was sort of the, I think it was their own website or Amazon, but like, you know, mm-hmm. Nut Pods is this, this brand that's huge on the Amazon and, you know, Crave Jerky, like Safeway and Costco were mm-hmm. huge for them. And so like, you know, there's this drink line called Stirrings and they were like massive in cost plus world market. So, you know, everyone has like these champions who like just love your product and, and their chain's a good demographic fit. And like, you got to like really have to focus on them and, and give them love and, and, and nurture that relationship. And wow. um, just curious too, how are you doing on Amazon? How long have you been on there and, and how's it going? Well, we're like a total oddball on Amazon. So like, mm-hmm. and we're changing this now actually, but we've never like focused on Amazon with our sauces. We have somewhat with our oats. Um, so there's a lot of our sauce sold on Amazon, but we have nothing to do with it. It's all mm-hmm. like third parties who buy our mm-hmm. sauce. Um, we're now taking over that and trying to get more control to like, make sure that nobody's gouging consumers and nobody's um, uh, like switching prices around. Nobody has like bad photographs or bad content. So we're, we're trying to upgrade the quality across all of it. Yeah. That's a, I feel like Amazon in general is trying to move that way uh, to have the brands represent themselves online. So it's very interesting. All right. So we like to wrap up with some questions or fun, quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. This is probably perfect for your personality too. Even though you don't have a desk, there is a question about desks. So, <laughs> all right. What is your coffee order? It's oolong tea. Oh, mm, nice. I like it. And then what is the favorite thing on your desk? Right now it's this really cool microphone. Uh, right. I think you have the black version of ours. Is it the blue Yeti mic? It's a Yeti. Yes. Yeah. It's a Yeti. Um, I'll give you some tips after this show. Okay. <laughs> we've been having that. We've, we've transitioned our mics and we've been on a learning curve with them. Yes. Um, so finish this sentence. When I pick up my phone, I. Ooh, check my email. Okay. Awesome. And then you wish you knew how to. Fly like Superman. <laughs> and what was the last show you binge watched? Limitless. Nice. And what should the title in your email signature actually say? He really wanted to kick ass. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an alter ego or a stage persona? Hmm. Yes. Limitless. Oh, the guy in Limitless? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be other people's stage personas, you know? What is your most used and favorite emoji? Gosh, I don't use emojis. Yeah, he's like, I'm not on Instagram. Come on, guys. <laughs> what is this emoji? <laughs> my, my kids use Instagram a lot. <laughs> Too much, maybe. Um, okay, last question. Dave, we believe that entrepreneur years are like dog years. You learn a lot very quickly. What would you tell baby Dave in the beginning of his journey that you know now that you're further along? Follow your instincts. Don't get complacent and kick some I love mm. it. And so, Dave, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so davesgourmet.com. 
Um, there's a store finder. You can check out stores. You can buy it there. Um, and don't forget, we actually mostly are a pasta sauce company, although we're best known for hot sauces. And our fastest growing line is actually a creamy hot sauce line that's vegan whipped sauces that are amazing. I am a plant-based person over here. So I will check those out. That's really exciting. Thank you for being on the podcast. Great. So much information and so fun. Well, thanks. thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. This episode is over, but it doesn't have to end. Head over to our Facebook group, search for the Product Boss Biz Community, or the link is also in the show notes. Come connect with other product bosses just like you. We'll see you in there. If you love the Product Boss Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, share, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Product Bosses, let's make it happen.